How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to episode one of our podcast series live from the expo floor. We are finally here. We're together and we have some really great topics and guests planned over the next three days. In this episode, we're going to discuss ALS, BLS interaction and deployment and all of the little idiosyncrasies that go along with it. Here to chat with me about this topic is Carl Flores. Carl is the burn outreach coordinator at University Medical Center in New Orleans. Prior to that, he served as the chief of New Orleans EMS. He brings a wealth of knowledge on this and many topics. Carl, thanks for kicking us off here at Expo 2021. Oh, great, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here, especially since the last one was in our hometown in New Orleans. So it's good to be here in Atlanta supporting the the program again and uh, kicking EMS world off and hopefully for more to come. Absolutely. So, Carl, can't we all just get along when we talk about the ALS-BLS relationship you know, sometimes I, I look at it like the Hatfields and the McCoys. You know, we say that we're this unified front, but is that always the case? Yeah, I think uh, it's a definitely an excellent question. In, in my career, where we started in New Orleans, um, it definitely became an issue. I actually started my EMS career where fire and uh, fire was completely separate, no first response. So uh, we actually had the integration side in it, but we're also an all ALS service, meaning paramedics only. So we've learned and going through the bumps and there are ways to do it. Um, I just think we, we need to look uh, innovatively to see how we can accomplish them. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we talk about, we spoke a little bit offline about, you know, that dichotomy that exists between the ALS and the BLS certifications and, you know, from a logistical standpoint, from an emotional and philosophical standpoint, you know, obviously, you know, the BLS sometimes feels intimidated by the ALS and the ALS sometimes gets frustrated by the BLS. And it's kind of like that big sister, you know, little sister type relationship. You know, I think that that's one of the questions as to how we move forward in mending some of those, you know, gaps that exist and, and how we look to better, you know, come up with a better uh, way for these two certification groups to, I don't want to say get along, but integrate better, I think is, is the best way to put it. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, again, us talking offline, we know that there's different systems across the country. I think that's a, a key thing to look internally where you're at from uh, the perspective of, of getting along. I mean, you have your ALS side and BLS side, even your fire response. I, I, I won't even throw them out because some people have that component. But we have to look at it in its totality. Sure. And, and in a word, what are we here for? It's the patient, right? And I think that's where we have to look and what we can provide. And you bring up some good points when we talked about offline, just our personal introductions in the challenges you may face or things that you may be hamstringed by as leadership and then obviously fiscal, fiscal responses. So I, I think there's a balance of it. It's how do we get there, right? Yeah, no, no doubt. And I, and I think that there, there's so many directions that you can go in with this topic. Um, you know, underutilization, overutilization. Like you said, skill degradation. There's also a whole skill degradation component of this that we had spoken about because you have areas of the country that are 
resource heavy, right, and resource rich, and some that are very resource poor. Um, you know, I spoke to you about the system that we have in New Jersey, and, and we're a tiered system. We have two paramedics, we have two BLS uh, in, in ambulances, and, and what it does is if it's, a, if it's an ALS call, you're going to have a BLS ambulance and an ALS unit go as well. So, you know, that lends itself to, you know, are we utilizing those resources the best that we can? given the fact that they're responding on all of these calls. I don't know. You look to the Midwest, you look to the West Coast, you look to the South, you have five paramedics on, on an engine. And, you know, that isn't always the best thing either, correct? Right. I totally agree. I mean, doing my training in Arizona when I initially started, it was amazing to see you had upwards of 12 medics. And, I mean, paramedics respond to one cardiac arrest. You're going to have skill degradation. And, and then it's those guys who naturally blend to the back. And, you know, you see it in any field that you're in. Uh, and then, as you said, in different aspects across the country, you may be bound by law. But, again, if you start putting the patient care first and that's your patient, one center focus for you, that's where you want to be. Over here in New Orleans, ALS uh, and BLS and pound per pound, dollar dollar, New Orleans EMS, when I was running it, was one of the busiest EMS services in the country. And we had no equipment when I started, and we built up to having the best equipment. That's why a lot of people wanted to come and work for us. But then we had to create equity for both, right? And what we realized, though, and equity and opportunity, I should say, um, to give our basics a way to elevate themselves. And so what we did was we created uh, almost like a BLS to ALS. We didn't exclude them from any training. We allowed them to go to... AMLS. We encourage them, in fact, to go to it, and we paid the cost of it. All they had to do was a nominal card fee. We wanted them to go to ACLS. We put it in, in their incorporation of their refresher. So we didn't stop. We trained everyone the same, and that made a marquee difference for us because our guys got to see the process, and I think it inspired them to kind of go to those uh, those courses. Things like what, we're, what I'm doing now with ABLS here at the conference we had something like six EMT basics there, and they wound up attending the class. They all passed. Was it harder for them? Yes, but we encouraged them, walked them through it. Similar to a registry, we were able to do that and empower them. Well, that's, that's a good point you bring up. So as your position as outreach coordinator for the, the burn center, you're responsible for educating the pre-hospital folks in, in burn care. And so, obviously, much of that comes down to ALS scope of practice. So what I'm wondering is, how do you motivate the BLS community to take part in this, knowing that they can't really, you know, utilize that scope of practice? Well, I think, I think what I found with a lot of these uh, basics who are taking a class is that they're interested, especially from the fire side. That is crazy because, obviously, sure. what? That's my, of course. that's my number one offender, and I'm worried about me, right? right. And how does it go? And... But what we found is that, again, when they're motivated, they see it, they, they seek the opportunity. And I think what it does is then allows them as a professional to self-reflect, right, and go, okay, I can do this. It gives them the confidence to go to the next level or encourages them to then go be an ALS. Not that that's the be-all, end-all, but ultimately we have to have a progression in the field. And, and hopefully that gives them the tools and platform to extend. Sure. It's, it, you're incentivizing them. You're almost incentivizing them to motivate themselves so that they may go on and, and you know, progress in this industry. Because, again, what is the biggest issue that we have in EMS? And I think that this is across the board in many, in, in many systems is the fact that we have very high attrition 
and that we're losing our EMS personnel to the same industries, police, fire, and nursing. And, and I wonder how you feel about that and how do we change that? Well, I think, um, you know, as a leader, you have to lead from the front, right? So it comes back to home base and things that we did was push our civil service system as a leader, uh, you know, in putting processes in place with EMS billing. I was able to look at the mayor of New Orleans at the time and say, I need a raise. He said, do you want 20 people you want to raise? I said, well, I want both. You, have, you, have either. you can have either. I said, if you're asking. Right. I said, so it, it didn't take long. It was like, look, I need the 20 people. And what is that going to do, right? Because pound for pound, I'll, I'll the busiest service in the country. So these guys aren't getting off on time. They're angry. The burnout's starting. By putting more people on, I allowed them to have breaks, get off on time. They didn't have much call volume. And, and that was the key. And when the mayor asked me, well, why'd you make that decision? I gave him those same answers, right? It was about the patient, reducing mm -hmm. response time compliance, getting the right resources to them, but then about the employees of giving them the break. And the last thing was, oh yeah, and by the way, when I get this money back from doing these transports of rolling over 3% of my calls down to less than 0.5%, I'm coming back to you for the money and you're gonna give me the raises. Right. And so it did happen, it all matriculated. But as leaders, you need to lead in the forefront. You need to look at it from a business perspective. And then you also need to incentivize your, your crews. We need to look to things. Don't, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, right? There are already processes out there. Follow a model or do a hybrid. Nursing has incentives for going to get education. Uh, police has incentives for going to SWAT training or some other skill. Fire has the same thing. We did all of that and carried it over in EMS. And I didn't care whether you were a paramedic or a basic, even though the disparity on, on the pay was was there. I mean, it's, you know, we're paying our guys pretty high because they do a lot of skills. You know, you're starting $18 an hour as a basic, over $21 an hour as a paramedic. That's how do you get to that level? Sure. Well, you incentivize them to do extra things and go get that training, the rapid, uh, swift water rescue training or dived rescue training and then you give them little five percent bumps those are the first carrots that will carry them through to being professionals and many look we're at a crossroads and we were there and i'm sure all of us were like oh, i'm doing this for a little bit and i'm gonna go exactly. i don't know be a dancer or something a i have no stone. idea a right stepping stone to do something else and then how do you hold them i think you have to do exactly with firing them they made it a community it made it there and you know, I was proud of where we were, and when vendors used to come and see, it's like, man, it's different. Your guys don't run away from you when you walk in the in the lot. They actually come to you. They bring look for advice, things of that nature. You have to you have to personalize this aspect of your job and get to know your employees. Well, and I think that it all comes down to advocacy and a voice, right? I mean, when we look at nursing, nursing used to be in the same situation that EMS was way back when. And what happened? The unions became very strong and they had that voice in the forefront. And basically they said, hey, listen, if we're going to do this, we're going to get paid and we're going to have livable wages. And I think that, that we find ourselves in that situation in EMS every day. And I think that that's something that has to change. And, and it probably lends itself to what I'm going to ask you now about should we have that type of national structure platform for EMS? Now, you know, we have NFPA 3000 that came out and everything that that's, makes great suggestions and best practices. But we're not doing that across the board. We're not. And I think that that, I think that, that goes hand in hand with the BLS and the ALS interaction because the scope of practice is so different in different areas of the country. You know, you have EMT basics, you also have EMT intermediates and advanced in different areas. Some you don't, you just have basics. You know, how do you bridge that gap? I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the term engagement. 
And uh, again, I'll go back to the point of leading from the front. Unfortunately, I see a lot of tired leaders, and this is probably controversial in it. Um, at some point, you have to give back. And again, you don't lead like a turtle and stick your neck out only in good times. As a leader, I had to push, push all the time. Be damned your job, right. right, and your position. And I think we're in a self-preservation mode a lot of times. But I also think it's engagement from the bottom up. What I find is, you know, we have these organizations at certain states. Who is it? It's all the older people. The new blood needs to come up and take it. I still sort of own an EMS task force for an ambulance standard. That's another thing. If your leaders aren't pushing just because, oh, it's going to cost me the proverbial 20000 to put these cots and everything else, it's not going to cost you that much. Sure. If you convert your truck, it's really about $8,000 to do the right thing and put a cot that won't, that can stand a G4 so your guys can walk away and your patient can walk away. I think people use these somewhat of excuses and need to need to really step up to the plate and start doing the right thing for the patient and their employees. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll go back to one of the points that you made before, because I do believe that it lends itself to some of the obstacles in, that we're facing as an EMS community, especially with ALS and BLS, is the sense that there's not much of a variance in pay in many areas between an EMT basic and a paramedic. But there is such a wide variation in scope of practice. Now, that can go two ways, right? So an EMT basic can say, listen, I'm not able to do anything, and I'm getting paid bare bones here. I just don't want to do this anymore. Conversely, you have the paramedic who's making $3 an hour more, who has so much greater responsibility and liability that's saying, for $3 more, I'm not doing this, right? So you find yourself in that very interesting dichotomy that exists. And that's something, again, that comes back to that livable wage. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I I think this is where we do land and start looking towards what did our brethren in police and fire do to, to get that. And again, it's unification, it's engagement into their own profession. You know, look, you can ask, how, what is, look at the percentage of, of EMTs and paramedics that are actually a part of NAEMT, a national organization. How many are part of their state organization? Right. I can tell you in Louisiana, it's very low and not many go to the conferences, et cetera. If you don't engage yourself as a BLS provider or ALS provider, you will never see change because it comes in the numbers, right? Your voting power, that's where nursing really had made a huge difference. And to see when they bond, even with COVID, to have this emergency pay, those were things that EMS could easily have bonded together and say, you know what? Yeah, I appreciate you trying to bring people in, but you're giving us emergency pay and we'll come to work. And I think it's a balance. But as leaders, you should be on the forefront to say, we need to do the right thing. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think that COVID was a tipping point for EMS because we were in the forefront and people were banging pans for us and they were sending pizza and everything else. And that was great because we we were finally getting recognized. And I know personally, I was saying to myself, wow, this could be the moment. This could be the moment where people realize, hey, people realize what EMS stands for. All right. Because how many times is it police, fire and emergency personnel that you hear? Right. There, There was never that recognition. The problem is I feel like we took our our foot off the gas. I, I think you did, and I think it comes from uh, burnout to a degree. And I think it was all around. And, and look, admittedly so, you have leaders that were exhausted from totally. the process. But it's the same thing post-Katrina. And, and when people ask me, I have a beautiful picture when I do my Katrina lecture, and it's me in front of the crowd where we evacuated 22,000 people. And I was 
I was in charge of that. And look, we didn't know what we were walking to, but exactly what you just said was we approached the crowd, they saw the patches, and they started cheering. We thought we were going to get a water bottle through. I mean, seriously, we thought they were really upset. And they started cheering and said, oh, it's our EMS. They got to see our uniforms. It's our team. And not ambulance driver. That moment alone, when the patient grabbed me and remembered me and said, oh, do you remember my mother? Do you remember that? I'm like, what heroic thing did I do? And it was simply because I held her mother's hand to an hospital. Sure, my mom talked about the day she died. She, she left to go to the nicest guy. And it touched me today, but people ask, man, why did you stay in EMS? You were wooed by all these vendors because you rebuilt the service right after. You could make a lot of money. I said, because it's that. It was that commitment. It was a calling. And I think you have to find that in yourself as a, as a service, and then you have to drive. There are many times we could have backed off the gas and just said, you know what? I'm going to coast. I'm going to go finish my personal things. But we didn't. It was about getting the service and putting it forward, which is what we do every day. It's just you need that passion in those positions. And without it, it's going to fall on a vine, unfortunately. Well, you know, all great points. And I think just just to wrap it up and put a bow on this, I would ask you again, just for the for the major points here, how do we move forward in this ALS-BLS relationship? You know, just the, what do we do to better those relationships as we're out there on, on the front lines every single day? Well, I think the reality is, is A, it's, it's a respect issue, right? And one needs to know that they can't work without the other. You'll always get a, you know, like I remember starting the thing, someone said, you know, this one medic used to throw incident reports on the dash and say, I'm the paramedic and yep. you're gonna do everything I'm saying. Well, that's not it. It's an equitable truck, it's a partnership. Right. You can't get there without me and without setting it up. And I think empowering those individuals and teaching them, that's our job, right? Sure. As paramedics and leaders in, in anything, you have to elevate the next level. So I think elevating them, empowering them, and encouraging them to move to that next step, regardless of whether they stay as a basic, but I'm gonna teach you. And so even with good medical direction, you know, a basic can spike a bag, a basic can prep an easy IO, a basic can, and as you teach it, they wanna know. We're, our nature as humans is to be sponges and want to learn more, and I think we need to capture it. Ultimately, I think you said it early on, it's about the patient. you got to keep your egos on the sidelines and just always strive for the same goal. So, Carl, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, many things to discuss. Many, as I said, we can go on probably for hours on this, but I really do appreciate you teeing us up here at EMS Expo. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, for me too, Mike, and, and I hope to do it again. We'll see it hopefully in uh, Florida. We can bring some more burn lectures, but you know, and I know we can talk about this for uh, a long time over some beers and crawfish, and that's an invite from me. You come down to New Orleans, we're going to have some. So I'll pencil me in for next week. Though. There you that's go. Perfect. All right. <laughs> Thanks Sounds for good. listening to Episode 1, everybody, live from the Expo floor. Stay tuned as we have 13 episodes lined up over the next three days. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Thanks for tuning in. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 